looking at key words in the Bible, we don't just take from one place because the Bible supports itself all throughout with these words that we use of faith. Uh, you've got Jesus using phrases that expound on and make this point very clear about salvation. You've got Paul that's got writings about salvation. You've got it all through uh, the New Testament. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And so we know that the only way that you're going to come to faith is by the taught word, preach word, or the living word, which is Jesus Christ. So that's how you'll come to faith. So today as we look at this, how does salvation happen? How does it occur? It's a big process. You may It's really simple. You just place your faith in Jesus Christ and you are saved by a childlike faith. It's really simple. But yet, there are a lot of working elements in the effort of salvation. Not on your part. Not on your part. But by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of working parts in how we come to faith in Jesus Christ. There are no working parts in us. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus said, when they asked what works may we work, he said, this is the work I want from you. Believe on me. That is the work. Believe on Jesus. People say, I, I believe you got to work to get to heaven. Well, if you consider believing on Jesus' work, yeah, go for it. It is by grace through faith that you are saved. Let's look there in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the other. I want you to notice all the past tense accounts there. But God, that's a, that's a really good phrase right there. I always need to remember that. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see there it again, no works. And raised by us, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the first thing we've got to understand in this idea, this big word of faith, the thing that we've got to understand is God's life. We've got to understand God's life. We have no life apart from his life. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There is zero life apart from God. Zero. But Jesus, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, there is life within him. When God spoke, even nothing obeyed God. Even nothing obeyed God. I mean, when there was nothing, God spoke, and nothing became something because God said so. 
There is life in the voice of God. There is life that is God, and that's the only life that anybody needs to have. It's the life we should desire. It's the life by which we are compelled to go out and tell other people about Jesus. So when we look at this, last week we looked at John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. What life is that? His own. His own. It's of him. It's by him. It is him. Life everlasting. That is the life that he gives. So in Christ is life. And from this life, he gives life. Notice verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So he goes on to say, In, in which you once walked. Look at all these past tense uh, statements. He made you alive. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the other. Look, look at all those past tense Throughout this scripture. But you were made alive. I was made alive. We are not to step back into that past life which was no life. And think we have life. We had an existence. But we had no life apart from Christ. Christ. Life only comes from Christ. So God has the power of life to make one alive. Look there, I mean it says, and you were made alive who were dead in trespass. We were spiritually dead. And a spiritually dead person has to be made to come alive to make a response to faith. I'm telling you, it's, it's a big thought. It's a huge thought. I'm going to look at, we're looking at God's life. We're going to look at the, um, the revelation of sin. Because for you to know why you need to be saved, you've got to understand that you were lost. We need to look at the necessity of repentance, the continuation of confession, and the reform of regeneration. Those are the points we're going to be looking at today. We're going to look at all those points today. And you may say, wow, 1017. Well, actually, that's not The back clock is not right, so may God have grace on your souls today. <laughs> Just kidding. I do have a watch right here. It's 1103. I'm going to try to grab all this while we're here okay but listen so God has the power of life to make one alive how does this power and life come from God into the dead man or woman revelation is the first step there is a general revelation of God and there is a specific or salvific revelation of God as well general revelation is spoken of by Paul in Romans 1 20 where he says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what was made so that man are without excuse. This general revelation was and is to point people to a creator. But this is not enough to bring about salvation. That is through specific or salvific revelation. This revelation comes through an accurate picture of who Christ is, 
who you and I are in view of his holiness and what needs to be done to reconcile these differences. Those differences are a lack of sin on God's part and a fullness of sin on our part. So to come to salvation, there has to be a revelation of sin. No one is ever going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. No one is ever going to ask to be saved if they never think that they're in trouble or they're in need of rescuing. If I always thought I've got it under control, that's all good. Why are you messing with me? Why are you trying to grab me? Why are you trying to save me? Get your hands off of me. I'm good as I am. you got to realize there is none good. No, not one. There was only one that was good. That's Jesus Christ. So we all need saving. Now you may say, I'm not that much of a sinner. Well, if you sin once, you're very much a sinner, just as I am. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all in need of someone to reconcile us back to God. The law cannot do that. The law only points out the fact that I've fallen further and further away from God because I'm going to sin more and more. I need somebody who is greater than the law or the fulfilling of the law, and that is Jesus Christ. He is our advocate. He stands before the Father, and he says, I stand in your place. But there's got to be a revelation of sin. Romans 11.32 says this, God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy on all. When Adam sinned, the sin of Adam fell upon all mankind. Uh, God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy on all. It's not God's desire that he just cast people into hell. Well, I'm casting you and I'm casting you and I'm casting God's desire is that you see where you are and you say, I need saving. And God says, I show mercy on all. God wants to show mercy. It's God's desire that all repent and come to faith in him. People say, God's, God's slack. God's slack. He's slow in what he's doing. No, he's not. He's patient. He's merciful. He's showing grace so that you may, at the time that, he, that is right, which he ordains, and you cry out to him, he says, Call out to me and you shall be saved. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raises us from the dead, you shall be saved. But you're not going to cry out to him when the Lord that sits on the throne of your heart is you because you think you've got it all under control. I think I've got all control. Disobedience is in this text of Romans 11.32 is a large word for sin and trespasses. We learn that that these are through the revelation of Scripture, through the revelation of God's holiness. And from Scripture, it's the preached word, the received word, the observed word, the applied word. We come to the revelation of God's holiness in our unrighteousness. Tony Evans said this, All people are shut up in this container called sin with no way out. And the only way the container will be open is as if the one who shuts it opens it. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no person who has lived, is living, or will live who will not sin other than Jesus Christ. So all are shut up in disobedience and have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So all are in desperate need of God's mercy and grace. Oh, there's people out there, they, they think they're living their best life now. Well, they probably are living their best life if they're apart from Jesus Christ. They better enjoy it because when they die apart from Jesus Christ, it ain't going to be their best life no more. 
They better come to faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 gives us the outcome of all sin for all people. Uh, all the sin in our mortal bodies. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin. It doesn't say the wages of sin is death only for the unbelieving. Death will come to all as being a part of the human race, descendants of the first Adam with the sin nature. But it does say, uh, though, that those who have Jesus Christ receive the gift of eternal life. Eternal life is noted through John 10.10 and John 14.6 comes only through Jesus Christ and by no other means. You can't help enough old ladies across the street. You can't, you can't adopt as many dogs from the humane society. You can't do as many good things as you can. It's not going to get you to heaven. The only thing that gets people to heaven is Jesus. That's it. He is the door. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the vine. He is the bread of life. We've talked about that in this previous month. He's the only way the truth, and the life. And no man shall come to the Father except through him. And considering this, we must take into effect Paul's writing in Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, it implies that all are sinners and we are trapped in this container of sin and the way out is through Christ. It's the only way. God demonstrated his love toward us. This is one of my favorite verses, Romans 5, 8. It's, it's next to John 3, 16. It's the most complete uh, understanding of a gospel uh, call of any other scripture in the Bible. God demonstrates his own love toward us. How did he demonstrate it? On the cross, by becoming poor for our sakes. By our stripes, we are healed. He, he didn't just say, you should go to a cross, or I'll put somebody else on a cross. God said, no, I'm sending my, my son, my son is going to be in your stead, in your place, carrying your burdens and your sins that you will commit, that you don't even know, that the sins that have been committed in the past, that they, they didn't understand how that was going to be reconciled. He is the propitiation for our sin. He stands in our place. That's another big word. I'll cover that at some point, probably next week in justification, which is going to be really fun to have propitiation and justification in the same week. But it's going to hit, okay? It's going to be there. But he is, he is our life. It's only through Jesus Christ that we have life. So if Jesus is the way from sin to himself and ultimately the Father, how does one come to this point? How does one come to this point? How does one have Christ-specific or salvific revelation or grace come to an individual? It comes through repentance. It comes through repentance. So there is a necessity of repentance. Jesus, in his first statement or sermon, spoke this way. This is in Mark chapter 1. I believe it's verse 15. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus said, now let's go back to verse 14. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. We live in the moment of the kingdom of God. The church is a big part of the kingdom of God. There's a song we used to sing with our students called by, by uh, Christian Stanfield called Kingdom. We are the kingdom of God. We are an army of love. 
That's who we are in Christ. And so in him, he says, there's this repentance is vital. It's necessary, not just vital. It is necessary for salvation. You can't just come to Christ because you got a feeling. You come to Christ because you realize who you are apart from him. And how you stand before him, a sinner who has trespassed against God Almighty's commands and laws. And you say, I know where I stand. I stand condemned, John 3, 17 and 18. I stand condemned already. I need someone in my stead. I need somebody to rescue me. And Jesus says, here am I. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to come to the Father? I'm not talking about heaven yet right here, okay? Jesus says, you want to come to the Father? you got to come through me. Now, you know where the Father resides? In heaven. So that's a byproduct of it. But I want to get to the Father. Repentance, as defined by A.J. Conyers, is a radical redirection of life, a mid-journey course correction that is an alternative to destruction. Repentance, it means to make a 180 turn. You're walking this way, you're going to turn this way. You're going to go this way. And it might not be as smooth as that, but you're going to have to turn away. It might be that you're doing this number right here, doing a two-step, going, and the Lord's drawing you. He's bringing you back, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute, too. But you've got to turn. You've got to turn away from the things of the world. Turn away of what you think is right, and turn to the things that you know through the Word of God is right, and you turn to Christ. God's grace leads to God's mercy. One commentator puts it this way. Some people confuse grace and mercy. Mercy can be defined as God not giving us what we deserve, which is judgment and eternity in hell. But grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. The repentance and faith that are both necessary for salvation and eternity in heaven. Because God is rich in mercy, he withheld his wrath and gave us his grace instead. Because he is rich in mercy. That's the very first thing, one of the very first things it says there in that Ephesians passage. Actually, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, God demonstrated his love toward us. And in mercy, he, he came to a belligerent, evil enemy of himself and said I'm going to die in your place and I know it's going to be difficult at times for people to see me but I'm going to die in your place and I'm going to give you the offer of salvation and his atonement will cover any and all sin that is committed for those who all will turn in obedience to his drawing we're going to talk about that some more in just a minute as well the term repentance comes from the Greek word that means to change one's mind. The term is not limited to the idea of being sorry for one's sins. Usually that means, oh, I got caught. I need to do something. I got, I got, I got to, you know, you get caught by your parents doing something you shouldn't do. Oh, I'm sorry. You're not really sorry. You wanted to do that. You're not, you're sorry you got caught. You know what I mean, right? You're sorry you got caught. You're really not sorry about what you're doing. Repentance is you're sorry about what you're doing. Not that the fact that you got caught in it. But the term is not limited to the idea of being sorry for one's sins. Paul taught and believed that repentance and faith were both necessary for salvation. Jesus also taught the necessity of repentance when he said, Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Repentance and faith are two sides of one coin in salvation. 
Repentance and faith are two sides of one coin of salvation. Charles Hodge wrote this. He said, the faith which is required for salvation is an act of the whole soul, of the understanding of the heart and of the will. Repentance is inseparable from faith. In considering repentance, we could see it in two ways. Repentance is a revolution that takes place in the life of an individual who starts out in the Christian life. It describes the results of a crisis in which a choice is made between continuing to sin and turning away from it and forsaking that way in favor of the way God provided through Christ. You're turning away from it. Repentance also involves a long-term, one might say, lifelong turning of the wheel and affection in mind toward God. It is then seen as a continual process. We can observe this thought and idea from Romans 12, 2 and Ephesians 4, 23. Christians today have become so accustomed to the word repentance that the weightiness of this turning away from sin and turning toward God is frequently overlooked or at least underestimated. Repentance is something, it's not something you one time do. We're going to have to repent over and over and over again. We're going to have to confess, which I'm about to talk about in just a minute. We're going to have to confess. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is absolutely a part of salvation to continue with confession. Confession is not only of the sins, confession is also of who the Lord is. And, by, and the byproduct of knowing who the Lord is will lead us into that idea and that truth of confession. From repentance, we come to the acknowledgement of to whom we must repent. We are to change our minds about who Christ is and who we are. Now, as a dead person, you're not going to be able to do that. A spiritually dead person, you can't, you can't do that. And we're going to talk about that. Listen, we're, we're going to walk through these things, and then I'm going to explain to you how that all works. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is a big, big action here. And this is the reason why it takes every one of us to be faithful in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the process of regeneration, which I'm going to hit in a little while, the process of regeneration encompasses all of this. The revelation of sin. The necessity of repentance. And the continuation of confession. It's all part of regeneration we must come to the realization that Jesus is who the Bible claims he is and who uh, and who he claimed to be within those past pages we sometimes call this a confession of faith as to someone when they confess Christ is Lord the first level of faith as one author writes it is simply the acceptance of revealed truth about God in Christ and this could be considered a passive understanding the second level of faith involves trusting obedience of what Christ has taught and commanded. This could be referred to as active faith. And the third level, uh, we find that the receiving of truth, level one, and the trusting obedience of Christ, level two, result in a personal knowledge of Christ. This is explained as an abiding faith in John's gospel. And this is the embodiment of level one and level two faiths. So in turn, we have a level of faith, but that faith must be placed in Christ, not in ourselves. Prior to the effort of regeneration by the Holy Spirit, our minds are made up about who we are. 
You know that? Our minds are made up by who we are. We are in and of ourselves dependent and outside ourselves independent. Right? In simpler terms, we are our own God. We are our own God. We manipulate situations and circumstances to best serve our purposes. Notice I didn't say create because we can't create them. Only thing we can do is manipulate. God is the creator. We are the manipulator. So we manipulate situations and circumstances to best serve our purposes. We are ever confessing our lordship of ourselves by the way we express our successes and failures. Before a working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds, the Father's drawing us to the Son. In John 16, we find Jesus continuing to speak to the disciples about where he is going and that they cannot come. They were still confused. The process of coming to salvation was still not complete. But in John 16, 25 through 75, the disciples proclaimed that Jesus is Lord because he came from God. They determined this from his clear speech. This is how they came to that determinants, that he was who he claimed to be because he... At first, he's speaking to them in parables. And he's telling them these things. They're like, Lord, why are you speaking to us in this way? Speak clearly to us. And he speaks directly, clearly to them about who he is. And they said, okay, now we understand this because you came from God. You came from God. This is the point where they come to this revelation. You are who you say you are. And they determine this from his clear speech. For us today... The Father's clear speech is the life of Christ and his gospels. It's all right here. We don't have Jesus w- literally walking with us, you know, manifest presence of Jesus Christ with us. We got the Holy Spirit that as we read the word of God, he will teach us all about Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is to do. That's part of his job. He will lead us into all righteousness. He will counsel us. He will go before the Father in our prayers when we don't know the words to speak. That's what he does. He seals us to the day of redemption. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to reveal all these things to us. So it is the Father's clear speech. The Father's clear speech is the life of Christ and his gospels and the ongoing accounts from firsthand observers. This clarity of Christ leads to clear confession of Christ. Look there in John 17, 3. It's written, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is eternal life, that they may know the Father. How do we know the Father? We know the Father through the Son because the Son was present. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know Jesus in the Gospels, you know the Father. You know the Father's heart. You know the Father's characteristics. You know his holiness. You know these things because you've been in the Word of God. Jesus said to the disciples over and over and over again in John, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 14, 6. I, I keep quoting this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall come to the Father except through me. If you read 7 on, Jesus tells them who the Father is. If you've, seen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the way we need to go. He is the way to eternal life. To know the Father and the Son is to have an ongoing personal relationship with God. To be growing in faith and knowledge of God. This is what the disciples were doing and had done. Jesus recognized this. Their confession and their soon-to-be professions made this evidently clear made this evidently clear the drawing to the sun for us today is is slightly different than that of the disciples and the apostles because we do not have an incarnate lord to lead us 
We have an indwelling spirit to guide us, to teach us, and keep us. Well, how does the Holy Spirit work? Well, it's through regeneration. It's through regeneration. There is the reform of regeneration. Regeneration encompasses the whole of the process towards salvation. To do, as Paul states, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord in a true, heartfelt, if you will, from what I said earlier, level three faith, and believe in your heart God raised his son from the dead to be saved. The regeneration process work of the Holy Spirit must have occurred. People can verbally say Jesus is Lord. They can say that, you know what I mean? I, there's, no, there's no binding of the tongue, but they can't say that. But to say that with faith that changes your life takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is defined as the process by which God implants new spiritual life, His very life in the heart of a sinner who believes on Jesus Christ for salvation. What Tony, that's how Tony Evans defines it. So we can observe three figures to describe the process. There's a new birth. From John's Gospel, chapter 3, we have the account of Jesus and Nicodemus. We have the account of Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, you know, Nicodemus comes to him at night. And Nicodemus tells him there in verse 2 of John chapter 3, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says to him, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said unto him, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. We don't know who's going to confess Christ as Lord. We don't know that. That's how the, the Spirit is, is working. But how does the Spirit work? We talked about that. The Spirit's not a ghost that floats up and down the aisles and just happens to land on people like, like Casper the Friendly Ghost. It doesn't work like that. The Holy Spirit works because we've got the Holy Spirit within us. We teach and preach and live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through our lives, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is evident. And from that fruit, people partake. Oh, taste to see that the Lord is good, right? And if the fruit of the Holy Spirit is good, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, people can say, I want some of that. Because we're living through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit is in our lives. But if you have no revelation, no evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, don't be shocked when nobody comes to faith when you talk about Jesus. Because there's no Holy Spirit living out through your life. Jesus tells him, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus schools him on the fact that you're a, you're a teacher. You're supposed to know this stuff. He said, if I'd have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13 of John chapter 3, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who comes down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. 
And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. Ain't that a beautiful passage of Scripture? But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in Christ. Regeneration, there's a new birth. He must be, you must be born again. There's a spiritual resurrection. From Romans 6.13, we hear Paul drawing this point to conclusion. Do not go presenting the members of your body to, of, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. There is a spiritual resurrection. No longer are your, are your gifts, your talents, your body is supposed to be used for the devil and for his works. You're, you've been spiritually resurrected, so your body should follow suit. Quit using your body for evil. Stop that. Do not go presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God. It doesn't say present yourselves to good works, did it? No. You present your body as a living sacrifice, holy unto God. So it says, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You present yourself spiritually and physically to God. And then he will direct you how to use it for his glory and for his kingdom's expansion. He will give you those things. This thought of regenerating is to give new life to we are regenerated in Christ, so we are given new life, but to a different end and purpose. There's a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I love this passage of Scripture. It's written toward this end. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's as if God started the process of our creation all over again and recreated us into such totally different people that all the things we knew or cared about before are gone and everything is new, is the way Tony Evans said that. Those are the three ways that, that regeneration happens. It's a new birth, it's a new resurrection, and it's a new creation. You were dead in trespasses and sin is our passage there in Ephesians 2. Dead people can't do anything. The work of the Holy Spirit, the process of regeneration, leads the dead person to a new living life. Even as far back as the garden, the Lord makes clear the work of sin. In the day you eat the fruit of the tree of good and evil, you shall surely die. This was an immediate spiritual death, separating the unity of man and God. But it also assures the physical death of man for his wages of sin. But, through regeneration, Faith is gifted toward the confession of Christ is Lord. Grace is given so you may have physical life on this earth for time to make that confession. 
and upon the Holy Spirit mindfully and heartfully bringing you to that conclusion, salvation is granted and obtained. Regeneration is a big work. It's a big work. Salvation is a big work, but it's a big work of God. People asked, what must we work to work what you've done? He said, I don't, I don't want you to do that. The only work I want of you is to believe. Believe on me. Repent and believe on the gospel. Turn away from your way of life. So where do we stand today? Jesus spoke of how the scripture points us to Christ in John 8, 31. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I have clearly spoken the word of truth to you today. I've given you a better understanding of what it means to be saved. How that process works. The process for you, realize you're a sinner. It's very simple. They simplify it in Vacation Bible School. They call it the ABCs. Admit, believe, confess. It's pretty simple. But Jesus' work is pretty complex. God's work is pretty complex. And every single one of us in this room can be a part of the work of that. Because we have, the, those of us who have confessed Christ as Jesus Christ, have the Holy, as, as Lord, those of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. It is through our faithfulness of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the working of the Holy Spirit, how God would have him to work. It's the Father drawing you unto the Son. It's the Son by which through him, it's the only way you can get back to the Father. It's, it's, a, it's a recycling process, if you will, of how you come to the Father. He's not slow as some, some people consider slowness. But it is his desire that all repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 14, and 17 gives us the process of the proclamation of the gospel. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? That's someone who's heralding the gospel, not so much someone standing up here in the pulpit. How shall they preach unless they are sent? I'm, I'm sending you by God's own direction of his own word, not in my power, I'm sending you through the word of Christ, we are to go. How shall they preach unless they are sent? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. Where do you stand today? Have you received salvation? Hear the word, believe the word, and call on him who is central to the word. That's Jesus Christ.